Ephesians 2, if you could find Ephesians, and we'll go to chapter number 2, and we'll read verses 4 through 8. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Pastor Stan will bring us the message, the good news, and Adventists. Last time I was with you was about three weeks ago. A lot of things have happened in that three weeks, excuse me, and I want to tell you a little bit about that, and I felt like I... Um, needed to spend a little bit more time finishing or maybe more thoroughly going into what I started last time as well. <clears throat> um, boy, time goes by. Since I was last here three weeks ago, I've been to Mexico. Um, and um, <clears throat> my, well, oh, now I have to do this again. Okay, now we do it. There we go. Thank you. He knows what to tell me anyway. Uh, I have been wanting for some time to be able to spend some time with my sisters. I'm getting to that age where I'm thinking about, well, who am I, you know, before I disappear? <laughs> and, and one of the things that I've always wanted to do was to put together a family history, uh, to get to know my family. There's some interesting stories in my family. I'll tell you a little bit about it uh, as I do the introduction this morning to my message. But connected to this is, was the need to be able to get together some pictures and stories and things like that of my past. Maybe you've done stuff like this. Today's technology is amazing. You can get at so much stuff and you can find out so much stuff. And our story, at least as far as our records go, goes back over 100 years. So I wanted to get that story together. But I didn't know all the stories. And... Uh, one of the previous visits I had with my sisters, I, I, I latched on to the albums, you know, those photo albums that were taken. Do you, do you remember? Some of you do remember. I know you're as old as I am. Do you remember when taking pictures was a rare thing? Do you remember that? And do you remember when you would take pictures and you'd have to look at it and you would say, Ooh, that's all washed out. You know, the, the pictures didn't come out quite like they, they, they do today. They didn't have all the things together. You remember all of that? Nowadays, everything's documented. You know, we have just thousands of pictures everywhere. But back then, they were kind of rare. But luckily, uh, we were able to locate. My sister pulled out of a box an album that was given to my grandparents on their 20 fifth wedding anniversary, I think, in 1921. And it goes way back to some previous generations. 
uh, way back to Kansas and Colorado and then to Fresno. And so I had been busy copying or scanning these and putting them in the computer, trying to organize them and make sense out of, well, who's this, who's that, and where does it all belong in the flow? You know, that kind of thing. How many of you have done stuff like that? Some of you have. Some of you have. Okay, good. Yeah. So that's what I was busy doing. And so it, it was time for me now to bring what I had put together, all the scanning stuff, at least where it's at at this stage, and show it to my sisters and get the stories written down right there to match the pictures. And so we decided the best way to do that was, voila, a cruise. You know, we wouldn't have to cook, we could, you know, so we did that. And so we went on a trip to the Mexican Riviera. Their spouses came along and it was a good time for us as a family to be together. We were there on this boat. Isn't it a beautiful boat? For, for a week, it's a ship. Um, we were there for a week. It's the Princess Sapphire. We, um, we had made arrangements to be on a carnival boat, but some of you might remember that boat that caught fire. That was our, sh our ship. So we needed to make other arrangements, and so we switched over to Princess, and we all got together on that, and that, that worked out okay. Um... The <clears throat> we went down to um, the port of Los Angeles and um, uh, got on this boat, and it was a remarkable, efficient, we got on the boat, we got our rooms and everything, we were out in sea in a few hours, and we had a great time. Um, on this cruise, we were going to see several things. We were going down to see Puerto Vallarta, and then on our way back, we were to stop at Mazatlan in Cabo San Lucas. How many of you have done that trip? Wow. I thought everybody had been there. You've been there? Okay. So everything went fine. We went down to Puerto Vallarta, and um, uh, we had a great time. But our, our captain of our ship told us that um, he's not going to dock in Mazatlan because they had had an incident there recently. Some of the drug traffic in the inner part of the state around Mazatlan has been getting worse and worse and worse. And a citizen, I don't think it was American, I think maybe Canadian or somebody, he was caught and shot in crossfire. And so now several of the ships, Disney and, and Princess, and I think another maybe was, they've, they're not going to Mazatlan anymore because of the dangers that you have there. Mazatlan, we don't want to become another Tijuana, but that's, that's the kind of stuff that's going on. So instead of going to Mazatlan, we went up to Cabo San Lucas, and I don't know if you can see, I don't have my pointer, but up in Baja, California, below Los Angeles, there's a place called Ensenada, and so we went to Ensenada instead of Mazatlan on our way back home. So, oh, you do have a pointer. Yes. Okay, all right, well. You speak and it happens just like that. Just the laser button. Laser button. Right here, I see it. Okay. Okay. I'm going to now tell you a little of the uh, story that was prompting me on this trip. This is my grandmother. You know I'm adopted, so I'm talking about my adoptive grandmother. Uh, mother. Did, did something to pictures that always annoyed me 
very, very much until recently I was trying to put this stuff back together. She wrote right on the picture who everybody was. What's that? Well, they were all glued. They were glued to the album pages. And so she would write, and so you can see, Mama on Homestead, 1918, on the top of that. And this was her, her mother. And they had a kind of a rough life. She was a very interesting lady. Um, I, I might have referred to her a little bit in the past, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about her. My, um, I'm going to show you her husband. That's him right there. Um, he was an amazing man, too. He wanted to be the first Seventh-day Adventist missionary in China. He had a passion to take the gospel to the world, and he wanted to go to China. She met him, Grandma met him, when in Kansas, he was going to hold some evangelistic meetings, just like we're going to have in just a little less than four months here in town. And he, wanted to, he needed somebody to play the piano. And so he made arrangements for the local school teacher, happened to be grandma, not an Adventist, played the piano to play for his meetings. She was close friends with a gentleman, Samuel Chaffin in Kansas, who became quite a wheat farmer in Kansas. But when she heard Papa and they got together, they got together. <laughs> and out of that came six children and one of those was my mother, Mildred. And so out of that series of meetings, um, uh, uh, these two got together. And a whole life story came out of that time together. Now, uh, they left Kansas and they moved to Colorado. And when they moved to Colorado, they moved next door to a family that all of you will know well. Let me see if you can figure out who they are. Recognize any of these people? Well, mom's writing on the pictures will probably help a little bit if you could read it. This is a person that Adventists know very, very well. Do you recognize this person right here? Recognize it? You're, right, you're reading the writing, aren't you? Well, let me ask you, do you recognize this one here? No. That's George Vandenberg, it is written. Mom grew up next door to George Vandenberg, played with him all the time. And this was her fa his father, Elder Vandenberg. His father was a pastor, and so they lived next door. And so they had close relationship. Mom used to tell me about that, that George Vandenberg was this scrawny little kid next door that she played with. <laughs> she was a little bigger and beat up on him, I think, regularly. Um, so that's an interesting thing about our family background that I'm interested in. And here is a picture that goes back um, many, many years. And I don't, I'm going to see if I can spot these here for you. This is uh, my mom right here when she was little. Now notice all, and this is her sister, Lucretia. And this is Dorothy Vandeman, Alan Vandeman, George, little George <laughs> Vandeman, and his dad over here, Elder Vandeman. And I wish I knew who some of the others were. But these were Missionary Volunteer uh, Society picture. These were days when missionary volunteers were a big thing. And coming right out of those generations gone by. Yeah, long time. Now, um, when they finally left Colorado, 
Uh, and I want to stress this because this is kind of an interesting story. He wanted to be, Grandpa wanted to be the first missionary to China. And when he, uh, uh, in Kansas, they had to leave Kansas to go f to Colorado for Grandma's health. And then later on, they had, they had, I think, four children, no, five children by the time they were in Colorado. And um, when they left Colorado, they had to even, for her increasing health needs, they had to move to Fresno. And this is the house that I remember. Uh, it didn't look at all like this when I was uh, young. There's a very nice porch out here I grew up with, a very nice presenting, it was a very nice building, and it was nicely uh, landscaped and so forth, and out here, that was still there, the uh, water tower, uh, the tank house. The barn, oh, I love the barn that was back here the cows that they had, all of this acreage back here, they, um, they farmed, and then some amazing things happened out here in my childhood that I just, I loved going out to Grandma's house. And this is Grandma, isn't she a lovely Grandma? This is Grandma when I was young growing up. So anyway, <clears throat> I had a good time. Um, on one of the ports, uh, we wanted to go to a flea market. I, I, this will be over with in a little bit, and I'll get to the sermon. <laughs> but um, um, I went to one of the flea markets, and I said to the, somebody on shore, where's the flea market? And he says, well, if you go down this street, and then you go down this street, and you'll see an alley that goes off in that direction. So I went down this street, went down this street, and we were clear across the other side of the port from where our, the bay, where, from where the ship was at. Two great big ships in, in the harbor that day. And so, yeah, sure enough, here's this covered area where you can have, almost had to walk sideways in this kind of a flea market. And I was looking for certain things. Have you heard of ironwood? Really heavy, hard wood. And what they have done, uh, 15 years ago when I went, last time I went, uh, we were on a little trip up into the mountains and I saw these beautiful carvings of these mountain sheep, you know, with their horns like this. And they were just so beautifully done, and they're so heavy, and they're so strong. And I've loved these things, and they've occupied a place over my fireplace every since, and I've loved them. I thought, I'm going to look for some more ironwood. And I'm sorry I don't have a picture of what I bought. But there, going down all of these little places, all of a sudden I found ironwood. And I looked at it. I thought, wow. It had this beautiful dolphin that was upright. It was on some, I mean, they, they carved it right off of the wood. You could see the base, the uncarved part at the base, and then this dolphin going straight up about this tall. You know, like it's jumping out of the water. And it's gorgeous. And I said to Carol, I have to have that. And so I got it. But also, before we left that flea market, we went to one next door, and there was a turtle, sea turtle. This sea turtle is this big wide. Now, if you know ironwood, that's very heavy. All carved, beautifully done with the head. Carol and I had swum with the turtles in uh, Hawaii uh, a few years ago. And that's an amazing experience. You get in the water, and you just swim right next to these things. And you've got your mask on, of course, and your breather, whatever, snorkel. And you can look right into the turtles' eyes, and they look at you, and you swim side by side. It's a great experience. So we fell in love with these turtles. And when I saw these turtles... Carol says, I want that. And I said, I want that too. So here was this great big, on a, on a stand out of the, of the rough wood with a pin sticking up and a 
hole cut on the bottom of that turtle, when you set that turtle on that pin, it's like that turtle is just flying, you know, through the water. And it's gorgeous. And so I got that, that, and several other pieces. So I have a nice little ironwood display at my house of uh, those kind of things. So we had a good time. That's what has been going on in my life since um, we were last together. And there you get a chance. To, I think that's my last picture, so I can kind of close this down, can't I? Put the lid down and it stops. Is that right? Okay. Just like that. Just like that. Okay. Well, last time I was with you, 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 mentioned, you remember I mentioned that um, I was concerned. I was talking about the gospel and how the gospel is really the heart of the book of Revelation. And I, I don't think that what I said, I don't think I said it well. So I'm going to start over again. Not preaching the same sermon, but making my point, I think, hopefully a little bit better. Seventh-day Adventists have long seen their mission as a church commissioned to preach the three angels' message, right? How many of you seen the three angels on signs uh, for churches and on everywhere on advertisement? As long as I can remember, the three angels in the globe, you know, and the angels are flying over the globe. And it's taken right out of Revelation chapter 14, angel 1, 2, and 3. And uh, we have identified like no other church has with the three angels' message. And the first angel talks about even this is the everlasting gospel preached into the entire world. And so it stresses that very seriously. And in our fundamental beliefs, there's this statement, the mission of Seventh-day Adventist Church is to proclaim to all peoples the everlasting gospel of God's love in the context of the three angels' messages of Revelation 14, 6 through 12. Uh, three weeks ago, I stressed how absolutely confident Paul was that his understanding of what the gospel was could not be shaken and should not be shaken. And if anybody, even an angel from heaven, were to come down and try to persuade of a different gospel, <coughs> Paul said that that person should be accursed. He was absolutely certain of this. And we should be absolutely certain as he was of the gospel. The gospel is the good news. It's the good news about God. And it's even more than that, as I will tell you later on. It's good news of who he is, his character, his behavior, and the thing that defines him. Do you remember reading in the book of Revelation, it talks about a book in one of the early chapters. Do you remember that? And that who's going to be worthy to open this book? Do you remember that? And everybody is mourning because nobody could find anyone worthy to open this book. And then suddenly, here comes whom? Jesus, the only one that can open this book that seems to be so important to the book of Revelation, it holds the key to solving the whole problem with sin and restoring harmony and trust to the entire universe. And Jesus is the only one. And he opens it up. And you find out later on that this is the, it's the gospel is what it's all about. It's always been the gospel. The good news about God that Satan perverted and the good news about us that is yet to be told. Very, very important. The good news declares that God is able to heal the rift and restore the oneness. Um, Paul was shocked 
how easily the church was willing to let go of the gospel. And it makes me wonder, could we be guilty of the same thing? Letting go of the gospel? I want you to think about that. Put that in the back of your mind. Hold on to it during the sermon. And ask yourself, have I let go of the gospel? Have I done what Paul's church had done? Hearing the gospel from the greatest proponent in the Bible story, outside of Jesus, they turned their way from it. And he was shocked about that. How can that be? Paul was no longer ashamed of the gospel, as you remember in Romans chapter 1. He was the legalist who championed the concept of a fearful and judgmental God. Let's get that in our minds. His God was legal and judgmental. He championed that God. He liked that God. He would go out and do battles for that God. A legal, judgmental God. He demanded obedience upon threat of people's lives. You don't have to go too far in Christian circles today that find out that many churches are taking that strong a stand. Have you heard that? That they are actually recommending almost militaristic. You saw a little bit of that happened in the Middle East recently with the way people reacted this last week. Some people were really harsh and said other people should be punished. And this idea of punishing people, physically punishing people, pushing them down, is what Paul was advocating until he heard the gospel. Teaching, as Pharisees do, eternal torment. One who lived his life by strict allegiance to the law without any understanding of grace. That was Paul until the gospel found him. And there Jesus met him on that road to Damascus and his whole theological house tumbled to the ground. And he had to build it from scratch. And this time he built it upon the foundation of grace and the understanding of what the gospel is all about. We're getting ready in this church in just less than four months to bring an evangelist to town. Unless this church really understands the gospel and lives the gospel, those efforts are probably going to fall on their face. Because when people come, they'll listen to what the evangelists have to say. But the real acid test, I hope you're hearing what I'm saying here, is us. They're going to be looking at us. They're going to say, does this really work? Are these people people that I want to be around? You know? Do these people have something that I need? People all around the world are hungering for the gospel. They're looking for something really serious and authentic. And it is the gospel. And so that's what the key thing is here. And that's the reason why I'm preaching about this today. There are several passages. And maybe we should look at those right now. Let's take a look at them. In Philippians chapter 3 to understand what Paul is talking about. He wrote the book of Philippians as you can remember. But let's take a look at this. Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to look at um, verses 4 through 9. Now look at this proud Pharisee and the change that happened to him when the gospel came to him. And ask yourself the question, has this kind of change happened to me? 
Verse 4, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. I had zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law found blameless. So Paul is saying, I was absolutely a zealot. This is the kind of a guy in the Jewish religion you would promote. And he became very high placed because that's what they valued. And then as you go on, verse 7, this wonderful change that took place in him. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. This man was thoroughly changed, completely changed, right? One way, at one moment, doing everything according to what his own agenda required to be successful, the next minute finding Jesus Christ his agenda meant nothing. In fact, it was the most ugly thing in his life. Rubbish. Now, Jesus Christ is the most important thing. I want to tell you, you know this as well as I do. When that happens, that can't be hidden. People see it. They see it in your life, don't they? And so this is what happened with Paul. That I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law... But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Now, this is the kind of stuff that happens when the gospel gets into you. The focus shifts completely away from self or from even other people, and it shifts all the way towards Jesus Christ. And your whole passion in life is wrapped up in Christ. You just love him completely. You talk about him. He rules your life. He, you happily let him rule your life. This is what the gospel does to good news. Interesting how quickly people can turn away from that, as was the case in Paul's church. Now, let's go back a few uh, chapters, and we're going to look at Ephesians, and there's some passages here that are pretty outstanding. Uh, actually, chapters 2 and chapter 3 of Ephesians. And you, verse 1, chapter 2, were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. That's who you were. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Paul understood this completely. And when a church understands this, and it's written in their DNA... They are different people. It's easily seen. 
in order that the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace, God's grace, not ours, in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is a gift of God. For we, verse 10, are his workmanship, are in one version, poem, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Paul understood that. There was no need for boasting at all, at, in any situation at all. The focus had completely shifted away from himself and had turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. That was what was taking place. Now if you go on to chapter 3, and you can find in chapter 3, uh, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, Indeed, you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery. This is a mystery. The gospel is a mystery, as I wrote before in belief. And by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles prophets and saints and to go on that we should be fellow members of the body and fellow heirs etc and he was made a minister the unfathomable riches of Christ would become known the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places he bows his knees before a God who is able to do all that and that's what Paul is talking about what does this mean to us well it means basically that the gospel has the power to change us completely. And when that happens, everybody can see it completely. Three weeks ago, I asked you some questions. I want to ask them again. Is the gospel what we are known for? Last time, you said no. Oh, they're the Adventists. They believe in the seventh day. Oh, they believe that when you die, you're dead. Adventists, they're the people that believe in healthful living, right? Do you ever hear any statement, oh, those are the Adventists, they believe the gospel. They believe about God and his wonderful character. And they're like God. How come that doesn't get across? We're not as bad as we might think, <laughs> but how come that doesn't get across? In the last days, the book of Revelation, who is able to open the book? Jesus Christ comes forward. Then you have later on in the book, you have this gospel going to the entire world. That's supposed to be our commission as our church. Which, which does in us the same thing it did in Paul. Changed his emphasis completely and totally. Why is it that this church of all churches that ascribes so closely to the everlasting gospel that somehow it just doesn't come through? My premise is that if the gospel did come through in our lives, if we really held to it, it would have such a transforming effect, we never would have to advertise for evangelistic meetings. People would just come. 
Because you see, the whole world is hungering for something that's really real, that really does change your heart and make you happy and give you hope and help you to see spiritual things that you can't see otherwise. We would never have to advertise. They would just come. Or if they didn't even know us, but they came because of the advertisements, they would sit next to us and they would sense there's something different there. There's something different in those people. Somehow or another, the gospel has got to be lived out. Are the first things that come to the minds of our friends, even our dearest friends, spiritual things about us? Is that the first thing that comes to our mind? When our children talk about us, is that what they think about? Do we, when we talk to people, do we talk more about our story or do we talk more about Christ? Try to imagine Paul doing that. He couldn't get anything out without it being about Christ, right? That's what Paul was all about. The gospel changed this hard-hearted guy who at one time in his life took great deal of glory in how much harm he could create to people. Was so thoroughly changed. Now what does he do? He's willing to take the blows that he gave to others for the sake of Jesus Christ. That's a big change. And nobody had to ask Paul. His credentials were solid. Before, there were theological credentials, you might say. Now, they were spiritual credentials, and they were valid. I'm trying to say that in the last days, the context of these three angels' messages in Revelation chapter 14 is the last days. We're talking about our time. Jesus has told us through John the Revelator that this gospel is going to be preached, it's going to be lived, not just proclaimed. If we think that we're just, that our, the gospel is simply telling the truth about the Sabbath, which day is the Sabbath, or what happens when you die, you know, or the other things, tithing, whatever it may be, if we think that that's doing it, no, it's living the gospel, being transformed by the gospel, being changed so thoroughly that people know that person didn't get that way by themselves. God made something different. And they just rivet their eyes on you because they want to find out how that can happen to them too. There is a hunger in the hearts of people all around the world for this kind of a thing. Do we trust all to Christ? Is there a healthy humility within us, fully cognizant of our sinfulness? And of Christ's grace. Oh, I love those passages in Paul when he talks about how ugly he is, spiritually speaking, and how beautiful Christ is. He is so much aware of what Christ has done for him that it comes so clearly through. That's the message that Fort Bragg needs to think about when they think about Seventh day Adventists. Wouldn't you say that's true? Don't you think that if they sensed that there were really genuine people, that they would come? And this is what it's all about. Unfortunately, you know, at the very beginning of the conflict, Satan had a lot of lies about God. He's not the kind of guy you can trust, Satan said. 
he, he does what he wants and it makes no sense and it certainly isn't in concern with you. It's all about himself. Arbitrary, exacting, vengeful, unforgiving. He's quite severe. And brothers and sisters, there have been generations that have been raised of our own children that have said that about us. Is that not true? That is true. The statistics are sad. They're telling us that it's running pretty close to 50%. Just simply walk away from the church because they haven't seen the gospel there. So we need to get in harmony with what this book of Revelation is all about. Jesus wants to come back. And he's willing to give us the kind of experience he gave to Paul. Saul, who became Paul. And change our lives so thoroughly and change our focus so thoroughly. He's willing to do that to all of us and make our lives so completely different. I guess I want to open the computer one more time. So what do I need to do? Okay, I'll let you, because I, I have a few minutes. Okay, <clears throat> I wanted to tell you, just from my own personal life, what this has meant to me. And how it's played out, maybe that will help the message that I wanted to get through three weeks ago to come through a little bit more clearly. So I'm going to scoot this down a little bit. The reason why I want to show you a picture is because there's one of these pictures that I'm really proud of. And I want you to see it too. So tell me when, Albert. Okay. Now I've got to type in the code. Right now, right? Okay. Oh, there's Grandma. And then I just do it. It's ready to go? Yeah. F5? No? It's, it's up there. It's good. See, I, we need people like Albert. Okay. Um, there have been so many things that have happened to me in my life in recent years <clears throat> that, have, uh, I, that make me believe that God is really dead serious about teaching me some things. Just like Paul said about himself, I was and have been and still am one of the worst cases that you could ever imagine in my life. There is a filthiness about the inside of me that I just shudder every time I think about it. I have been responsible for slandering God before the most important people in my life. How do we slander God? We say false things about him by the way we live. And in my living before the people that are the most important to me, I have slandered God. I remember because of messages that were playing in my head, I hate to tell you these stories, when I was growing up, my precious little boy, when he was first born, I have a picture of him that I just love. I, he's just laying his head right on my head. And there was nothing in the world as important as that little boy. And then when that boy was six or seven years old, we were going on a hike up in the mountains in Northern California, up near 299, 295, is that where it's at? Up in the mountains above there. And he was kind of just sloughing along rather than, and he was getting in my way. And, and I didn't think he was doing the way he should be. And I walked up to him, I kicked him in the behind. He's dead. And I thought I needed to teach him something kind of like Paul trying to teach these Christians something. 
I thought it was an important lesson that he needed to learn. And I kicked my son. And it wasn't until years and years later that that memory just haunts me. I know I built some scars in my son's emotional, spiritual life that are even to this day, he just celebrated his 40th birthday, that he's still suffering from. And oh, I have cried and I have repented to him often about that. But it's hard to heal the hurt. He tells me that I'm forgiven. He tells me it really wasn't anything. But I see by looking in his life that he's still controlled by what happened. And that's a horrible memory to have. And I remember other things. I want to show you this picture here. Uh, this is my youngest grandchild. She's Noel. You know what Noel is? It's a song. <laughs> Very happy song. And she is now three. And I'm just so happy the Lord has changed my heart in such a way that these little kids, they just want to be with me. She called me just the other night, not last night, the night before. Oh, no, she called me Friday morning. And she said, gee, that's my name. Uh, her sister manufactured that a long time ago, just the letter G, abbreviating. <laughs> and uh, all of them call me that. I miss you. I want you to come and see me. She called on the phone to tell me that. And how thankful I am that the Lord has changed his heart of mine so completely that all the grandchildren pretty much feel that way about me now. But it's been a long, long journey for me. Today, there's been so many things that have happened. I've got my mother-in-law living with me. And I have seen over the years God bringing issues into my life that challenge me as to who I am. And if you want to be challenged about that, the mother-in-law is a good place to start. <laughs> Not that mother-in-laws are bad, but, you know, she comes into the home, you know, with a feeling like she's the boss, and I thought I was the boss, you know. Anyway, so you get those kind of issues that come up. She just celebrated her 88th birthday, four days before going on the cruise. And, you know, since she's been so handicapped, she's lost... Two of her sons in recent years, they've died. She lost all of her financial assets that had been accruing all through her life so that she's now forced to live with us. And in January, uh, she turned in front of an ongoing car and totaled her prized last possession, her car. And so here she is with everything pretty much going. Alzheimer's is taking over. And she can't remember things. And, and then other things happen with Alzheimer's. Uh, terrible emotional fears come in and, and strange things happen. I don't want to tell you all the stories, but they're just, these things are now into my life. I'm fully immersed into her life. And she is challenging the gospel in me. Do you understand what I'm saying? Every day, every day there's an opportunity to test whether or not the gospel is in my life or something else is there. I have a tendency to want to kick her along like I kicked my son. And now I am, God is working in my heart. I'm telling you this because it's so fresh. Um, to try to find ways to love her like God does. Instead of 
Instead of thinking about her needs, I think about how poorly I am a match for Jesus Christ, who is my Savior. And how Jesus would not do this or even feel these things. It's so challenging when you get somebody that can't hear hardly anymore. And so how do you communicate? And you communicate cross generations and your words don't even mean the same things and the way you relate don't even relate. It's just a real challenge. And so today, I'm being pressed every day about the gospel and whether or not I really believe the gospel and am living the gospel. And God has placed her in my life to teach me about the gospel. And so I embrace her. And so I called her last night and talked to her just to make sure she wasn't going to be afraid and call the police to come in and or whatever, you know. So, and we talked together, and so we're still trying to work things through. The things that have happened with my wife. It is so nice. We spent 20 plus years sparring with each other. And this last cruise, I just went with her, right beside her, enjoying the shopping that she was doing. And she, in turn, was beside me, enjoying the shopping that I was doing. And we're coming more and more closely together. We pray for each other all the time. The gospel is having a profound effect upon our relationship. And I want that to happen with my mother-in-law. I am of the belief that if we will let God have his work in our heart, teaching us the truth about the gospel, God is the loving God that Jesus said he is. And by knowing that, God wants you to have that love in your heart. God is very gracious. By knowing that, you be gracious too. As you accept him, his grace comes in. God is very forgiving. God is very long-suffering. He's very merciful. Not all the lies that Satan has been saying all of his life. We are the testimony. And so in the book of Revelation, you find this amazing story. As the whole drama of the conflict of the ages is coming to an end, suddenly Jesus is able to open the book. He told the truth. But then there's also a church that is living by that truth. And the truth is the gospel. I hope that will enable all of us to be able to go home and love our partners a little better be more understanding when people cut in front of us when we're in the, on, the, on the roads. Oh, that annoys me. Not for myself, but I know somebody's going to get hurt. I get so angry at those people. What place does anger have in the gospel? It's time. Jesus is ready to finish his work. And this is the kind of work that he is eager for us to do. So, that's what I wanted to say three weeks ago. And I hope, did it come through today okay? Did you get it? I said it all right? That's good. I wanted you to, to know that and I wanted you to see my little granddaughter. We have an appointment. There's a train over in Folsom. It's a miniature train. I could barely get in it. But we have an appointment. She loves that train. So we, when I get back, turn the lights back on. Uh, when I get back, 
we will be able to go on a train ride together. I want my children and I want my life to stop being so much about me and my feelings and so much more about Jesus and what he feels. Goodbye, Noel. All right, thank you very much. Thank you for being patient with me as I not only told the story but also told you a little bit about our trip. Father, we would like for you to write on our hearts the messages and the character that you would like to see there. We know that that would make us happier and make the world happier too. We realize that so many things that we've spent so much of our life trying to be are all wrong. And the gospel is there, the good news is there to tell us that it can all be changed. What a wonderful gift giving us the gospel, the power of God unto salvation. May that power be felt in our midst every day as we go home to our spouses and our families, as we go in our community, as we care for our various members of our family, and in the places that we work. May the power of God and the salvation be present in our life at all times. May it go before us and come behind us. May it convert our children and convert our friends as they see what really you can do with a human being in what you've done in us. Bless us in this direction. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.